Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Hello, hello, hello. So today we're going to talk about less is more with Peter Walsh, and there's going to be an introduction when I bring him on. And we're going to talk about it's a process. We're talking about clutter, but even so much more than that, about his 10 minutes a day challenge this idea of more, more, more and where that's rooted. We're going to talk about the mindset of that and TV shows because he's a TV personality. What really goes on behind the shows and authenticity? What is Peter really like on television and off? We go off on this tangent, but it is all correlated back to this message. And then we talk about how we really essentially make choices. We, we all make real choices and what is it that you choose to create we talk about comparisons and the need to appear better. And I love Peter's line that basically we're all eight-year-olds trying to struggling to try to figure out how this world is working. And we also talk about, you know, how to simplify things and why, what happens when people create space in their lives. So I will circle back after this interview with Peter Walsh and talk to you again. Peter Walsh is back. He's been on the show. Today is number nine. I can't believe it. Peter is an organizational expert, New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and television personality. You've seen him on The Oprah Winfrey Show, on The Own Network, and Rachel Ray. Peter's latest book is Lose the Clutter, Lose the Weight. And Peter and I are going to talk about how less is really more in our culture of more is better. Peter, hello and welcome back. Hi, it is great to be here. How many times did you say I've been on the show? Nine times. No way. And we're talking about less is more. I should hang up right I should hang up right now and save your listeners the excruciating agony of more is more. <laughs> it is great to be here. It's great to have you back. We always have fun and here we go again. We'll see where we yeah, go. That's crazy. <laughs> So what 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 was this here now I'll start the interview. So what was the spark for this topic? Like what made you jump? I love that you jumped on the, you know, the the more is more whole idea, but what what what's been happening with you that made you think of that? It says me taking control. Oh, thanks. Um I cuz well I am practicing slowly the less is more idea, yeah. you know, and I think about like one of the great I always talk about you all the time, but one of the interviews out of the you know the eight before you had said and you probably said this a few times because it takes a while to get into my brain but um giving yourself that permission to instead of having to clean out the whole house do that one drawer get started yeah. and i've really been implementing that through the years of instead of you know i used to do 20 years ago be like we have to take the week off from work and we have to do this and everything had to be this heightened thing and mm -hmm. what a difference like one drawer can be. And even at Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, we went and got our Christmas tree, came back. My kids and their cousin were setting it up. They didn't want any adult help. I have this great room. And so I was in the kitchen with my, my sister-in-law and didn't really want to sit there. So I just I had this one corner kitchen cabinet that started becoming this catch-all. And I started with one shelf to clean out. I did the Peter Walsh rule, one shelf. And I was like, oh, well, I can do the next shelf and then the next shelf. And all of a sudden that, sh that cabinet, that corner cabinet was empty. And I love that space of less is more. Yeah. So for me, I've been really practicing less is more. I mean, I've been really trying to live it now. By no means am I decluttered. I don't look like, you know, the people that. Yeah, get but it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's, it's all a process. You know, it's so interesting. You know, we're so, you know, with business or, you know, so often we hear people say, you know, you know, keep the big picture in mind. You know, it's all about the big picture. You know, screw the big picture. Just, you know, look at one shelf, look at one little corner. <laughs> you know, it's fascinating to me about, I think it's three years ago now, um, at the start of the year, I started in January and I've done it for three years now, a thing called 31 Days to Get Organized. I do it on my Facebook page. It's a... Every day for the month of January, I put up a one-minute video, and it's a 10-minute challenge. So all you have to do is commit to 10 minutes a day, and it might be, you know, tidy up the remotes or, 
you know, get rid of the bath towels you don't use or do under one sink or just do, you know, one little cupboard. They're, they're different and they're, they're up on my YouTube channel. But there's a gorilla, there's kind of a, a gorilla tactic involved, exactly what happened to you. You just think, oh, this will take two minutes. Mm-hmm. And suddenly two is 10 and 10 is 20 and you've achieved massive success. And the 31 days to get organized challenges are hugely popular for exactly the reason you're talking about. Easy steps, a set amount of time, less is more, wow, I can achieve this victory. Well, and you feel successful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because you're like, instead of that over, that huge daunting, I'm going to clean out my entire house and it's going to look perfect, it's you get so excited when you look at that one drawer or that one shelf and you're like, look at that space. Yeah, you know, it's you know, there's a couple of words you threw in there. Daunting is one, and that's what clutter does. It overwhelms and paralyzes us. I mean, two, you have to let go of the idea I have to do it all, which is just way too much. One little area, ten or fifteen minutes a day. Set your you know, set the alarm on your phone or the, the microwave. I don't care what it is, commit to that. And three, perfect. Oh my god, I hate that word so much. You know, this whole there's a whole movement in organization and, um, you know, that you should have the perfect house and it is the most destructive, crushing, wrong, you get the drift, um, kind of idea to have perfect. Nobody's, nobody's goal should be perfection. You know, and, you know, I think, you know, no, you know, I really like a lot of the stuff that Martha Stewart does, but, you know, there's an element of perfection in her stuff where, you know, it's the perfect dining room table, the perfect linen closet, the perfect fill in the blank. And perfection, in my view, should never be the goal. Happiness, stress-free, stress-free usable, family-friendly, they're the goals. And, you know, near enough, I think, is usually good enough. What what happens to people that you work with when they get tied up with that perfection? You, you get nowhere because what happens is you think, if I can't do it perfectly, I won't do it at all. Oh, mm-hmm. if I don't have the time to do the whole thing, I won't. What's the point in starting? You know, if I don't have all the tools I need, well, then I'll wait till I get those. And And in many cases, perfection ends up being such a stumbling block and it's it's kind of it's it's like a you know a lasso for procrastination. Well, if I can't do it perfectly, I'll put it off till later. And so you know, and and you're never going to be perfect. You know, you know the the perfect filing system, the perfect organized drawers. Oh my God, let it go. You know, who cares about perfection? Just have it so that it works for you. Have it so that when you look at that that corner cupboard you smile and breathe and do the little organized dance because, hey, I've achieved a little bit of success while my kids are putting up the Christmas tree. Good for you. It, it, I mean, it feels so good. I really like having space and yeah. I really, really like it, but that's been a very big shift. Why do we in our culture in America have this more, more, more? Well, you know, it, it just permeates everything we do, you know, that that if one is good, two must be great. You know, would you like to supersize that sir? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's it's just it so permeates the culture. The kid with the most toys rules the sandpit. The more successful you are, the bigger house you get. You show your family and friends how well you're doing by getting a bigger car or a new suit or you know, if you're you, if you're away on business, you know, four days out of five, you've got to bring something home for your kids to show them that you love them. You know, the idea that somehow stuff stuff is a substitute for you know a whole lot of things that you know in stuff we find meaning, and so in more stuff we must find complete meaning. You know, and, and this idea, you know, all of marketing is predicated on the idea that. You know, you have a good life, you know, look mm-hmm. at it, you know, look at it, you know, everyone's smiling in, you know, in ads on TV, you know, even for, you know, hemorrhoid cream or erectile <laughs> dysfunction treatment, everyone's happy and smiling. But the thing is, if you just buy this one thing, if you just get this one thing, you can move from good to great. That's the dream. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to get more must be 
to fulfill me more, you know, and this idea that that if you just acquire the right thing, if you just buy this one more thing, if you just make the right purchasing choice, you can acquire the life you want. That's that's the underlying philosophy. And, you know, the story I tell, and this is absolutely true, in the 15 odd years of me doing this work, in every, and I may have said this to you before, in every single case where I declutter a space where kids are involved, a kid's bedroom, a playroom, a toy room, whatever, you know, a family living space, in every single case, when children come back into the decluttered, organized, open, spaceful space, in every case, they spontaneously start to dance. <laughs> it's amazing. In every single case, children start to dance. And I think it's because within them, there is this sense that open space creates joy and, and kind of a liberty um, and a freedom that children in their innocence just tap into instinctually. You know, it's mm-hmm. amazing. When you think about nature, there's a lot of space in nature, and it feels good to be in nature. Yeah, you know, it's something in us says, you know, if there's open space, we need to fill it. You know, my God, you can't have an open, you know, an empty, an empty shelf in your closet. Oh, my God, you need to fill that up. You know, and yet, you know, it, it's funny, you know, the language, you know, I'm a big fan of the language we use around clutter and organizing. You know, when we talk about too much stuff in a home or in a space, you know, the language we use is very specific. I felt buried in that space. There was so much stuff I couldn't breathe. Oh my God, go into that garage and you feel suffocated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that we use those words, you know, buried, suffocated, um, you know, you know, in, metaphorically when it comes to clutter in a way that we don't use them in any other instance. And I think there's a reason. I think that somewhere within us, we know that too much stuff literally, you know, metaphorically, and in some cases, literally, sucks the life out of the space. So do you think like with this marketing bit, the more, 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 because we are, it's that promise, if you just buy this, your life is going to be so much better. Yep, yep, yep. There is that promise versus just doing the work to look at, okay, well, why isn't your life where you want it to be? What do you need to practice? Yeah, you know, it comes back to, and it's, you know, the fundamental idea on which all of my work is built. What's the vision you have for the life you want? You know, we always ask, you know, what do you want for your life? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your wedding? What do you want for your birthday? You know, what do you want for this room? Uh, 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 uh. Don't start there. What do you want from this space? What do you want from this holiday period? What do you want from your relationship? Ask that first. And then when it comes to buying stuff or acquiring stuff, the question is, will this item give me what I want from this space? You know, what do you want from your master bedroom? Peace, harmony, calm, romance, sanctuary, getaway, kid-free space. Okay, the, that's what you want from the space. Okay, let's buy a 52-inch TV and put it in the bedroom. Whoa, 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 hang on for a second. <laughs> hang on for a second. Will a 52-inch TV in the bedroom give me peace, calm, harmony, romance, sanctuary, haven, you know? The answer is pretty obvious. But everyone has a 52-inch TV in their bedroom. You know, kids' toys all over the bedroom floor, over the master bedroom floor. Yeah, well, I've got three, three kids under six. They play in the bedroom all the time. That's the way it is. Uh, uh, uh. Will toys on the bedroom floor give you give you what you want from the space? Peace, calm, harmony, sanctuary, romance, getaway, retreat. Uh, uh. So if the answer is no, if the stuff you own, if the stuff you want to buy doesn't help you create the life you want, doesn't give you what you want from a space, what the hell is it doing in your home? It's as simple as that. It's as simple and as complex as that. It's a Does si- the stuff you own help you create the life you want? So do you ever sabotage yourself? 
Of course. Every <laughs> single day. Do you mean me personally? Or? Yes, you personally. Yeah, of course I do. Every, you know, all, we all do all the time because you have to work at it. Because, you know, the normal thing is you go out shopping and you say, oh, oh my God, that shirt looks great. And the normal, the normal process, it's normally a three-step process. I see, I want, I buy. Okay, that's normally the process. But the thing is, you have to introduce, and this is a huge part of the new book, Lose the Clutter, Lose the Weight, you have to introduce an element of mindfulness or self-awareness. So the process now becomes a four-step process. I see, I want. You need to pause and ask yourself, will this item help me create the home I want? Will this item help me create the financial life I want? Will this item help me create the image of the body I want? Will this item help me create the physical body I want? And if the answer is yes, and you can afford it, knock yourself out. But if the answer is no, put the item down and walk away. So when you get in your way, is it because you're not asking yourself those questions? Yeah, yeah, you know, you you know, it's a you know, you see it, you you go out shopping and you see a bargain, fantastic, forty forty eight percent off. Holy hell, this is the best. Let me tell you, if price, if if price is the best thing about something, if price is the best thing about something, do not buy it. That's really good. You're right. If price is the best thing. Do not buy it. It's a simple rule. So, yeah, you know, it's, <clears throat> you get caught up in the enthusiasm of the moment. You know, you see, it, you see a treadmill that's 75% off and you think, oh, my God, if I got that, I would exercise every single morning. I'd lose the 30 pounds I want to lose and look stunningly attractive and not look like a fat blob on TV. Hmm, I'm going to buy it. Of course, you know, three years later, it's sitting there with last week's washing hanging on it. You know, I mean, <clears throat> we all get caught into that stuff. <clears throat> we all get caught into, you know, buying stuff in the hope that it will deliver deliver something that, that we want. Um, you know, I talk about the product and the promise. You know, we buy products, but we're really investing in the promise that it will make us, you know, look better, be smarter be more attractive, look skinny or whatever. Um, and so, you know, it does come back to, you know, being in your life, being very conscious <clears throat> of the, pardon me, of the choices, whether it's what you eat or what you say or, you know, what you buy or what you acquire. It's about being very conscious of will any of those choices move me closer to or farther away you know, the life or the relationship or the home or the job or the parenting or the children or the fill in the blank that I want. Okay. So I I have to bring this up. So I don't know, a number of years ago, uh, we needed a couch and a, and then at some point a dining room table set. And um, I was very specific. I knew I wanted a down couch, but mm-hmm. I didn't um, – want pillows because the idea of having to fluff pillows. So there's a contradiction right there because I don't know if you can have, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, a down couch without like the pillows. And um, so I kept shopping and shopping and I finally found this couch that I liked. And then I really found a couch that I it was, I liked the structure of it and I, it was sharp, but the material was going to, I don't even know what the, I'm not sophisticated. I just know how it looked. I liked it. It was this couch. I really liked it. But it is a down couch. And so, you know, we're always constantly fluffing these things. So here I was really clear with what I wanted, but I still went against, I guess, my idea. And then the dining room table, I knew I wanted this big square table, but I knew I didn't. I never wanted a table with like grooves in it because what do you do with the breadcrumbs? And of course, there's two these black tables. One is kind of this smooth top, and one has grooves. And I, I even imagine, I can't imagine what it would be like to live inside your head. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Go so, on. so Go on. fluffed pillows and breadcrumbs. Yeah, no grooves on the table. Keep going. So I wound up buying the table with the grooves, even though I knew I didn't want it. So then I have to buy glass for the table to keep the breadcrumbs out of it. And um, and it's so funny because here, you know, you're talking about I can be I can 
ask these questions, but there's a part that I can rationalize and say, that's okay. We're going to be fine. Now, I the couch, I love. It's been a great purchase. Don't like fluffing it up, but maybe that's just something I have to accept like dust. Just because I, you know, I used to get really upset if you dusted or cleaned, why would you ever have to do it again? So that's probably the reality of the the pillows and the table. I mean, we have the glass on it. I don't really love it, but I've I stick pictures underneath there, so that makes it better. <laughs> I, now I want to going. What's the, what's the question? So the question is, is that when you know, when you're clear about what it is that you want, but then you still take action that may give you the things that you don't want, like I did with the pillows and the breakfast. Sure, we all, but we all do that. I mean, that's called being human. Okay, so you made a bit of a screw up. You know, it was a, you know, it was a couch. You know, it was a table. It wasn't about, you know, a heart transplant surgery that you might or might not have. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, there's a learning in there, you know, and they're not, they're not, you're not going to live or die from that. You know, a bigger question would be, you know, did you spend, you know, $10,000 on the couch when you knew your family could only afford, you know, an $1,800 couch. And so you push yourself, you know, into huge financial trouble. You know, did you, did you buy a couch when you really didn't need one because your neighbor had one that was similar and you knew if you bought that, you'd really stick it to her. You know, there's there's all that, you know, there's all that stuff and, you know, you make compromises, you know, and then move on, you know. So you made a bit of a mistake next time, you know, don't buy a couch with, with um, you know, with down pillows or, you know, don't let your kids eat bread at the table. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there are solutions here, Colin. It's okay. Sit down. You'll be fine. Um, but look, you know, I mean, I, I'm being flippant, but. But look, it is really about, you know, being being aware of the choices and how, you know, the choices do, you know, each choice you make moves you closer to or farther away from the life, you know, you want. And, and you know, while the table with the grooves in it might be kind of a, you know, a flippant example in some ways, it's a great illustration because, you know, you buy it. And the truth is, every time you walk past it and look at it, you you know, when you think about it, you get that twinge of regret. Ugh, you know, I made a decision on that without really, you know, following through on, you know, on being completely mindful about the choice. And so, you know, it, it sticks in my craw a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, live and learn. Well, you know, as you're, as we're talking about this, the couch, I mean, really, it's like a nine out of 10. It, you know, yeah, well, financial. And that's fine. Yeah, financially, comfort-wise, how it looks, I love it all. I don't love the fluffing of the pillows, but that's where Train I think it's like children. the children. Why bark when you've got a dog? Train your kids <laughs> to fluff the pillows and don't worry about it. Uh, we, we work on this. It's all, you know, if Elle only knew I was talking to you again today, I forgot to tell her. <laughs> she, she used to run and hide. Oh, no, Peter Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trust me, get in line. There's thousands of people like that. They run and hide constantly. I think that every husband in the country hates me enormously. <laughs> I once got a, um, I went, many years ago, I once got a, I get a lot of hate mail. Not a lot, not as much as I used to, but I get quite a bit of hate mail. And um, and I got one not long ago um, that was, if if we, if we listened to your advice, sir, we would have thrown away the cake topper. So I guess there's a thing that you sit on a cake that, you know, like, you know, like the little bride and groom kind of things. We would have thrown away the cake topper that our grandparents owned. You, sir, are an idiot, which I thought, okay. (laughs) So, you know, I'm hated by a lot of people. It's okay. So (laughs) I live with it. I'll be fine. I'll get over it. So how does that not bother you? Because it's not real. You know, I mean, it's it's i mean one thing you learn in you know you know I, I have a limited amount of celebrity and it's all very nice and you know it's you know i'm very grateful for that don't get me wrong but the thing is you know people people think that you are the person on tv you know and it, it's very funny you know this concept of we're kind of way off topic at the moment but you know, people think, like, we'll be out for dinner. You know, it happened just two weekends ago. I was out for dinner with friends, and someone came up to the table and said, Hi, Peter, how are you doing? You know, it's great. What have you been up to? Blah, blah, blah. And we chatted for, you know, three or four minutes, and they said, Good to see you, and walked off. And one of my friends at dinner said, Who was that? And I said, I have no idea. I've never seen that person before in my life. 
And uh, he was astounded the level of familiarity with which that person spoke to me. And it's because, you know, people people establish a relationship with you. If you're on TV, you know, you're in their home every day or, you know, a few times a month or whatever. So people establish a relationship with you or with that person they see on TV. And so they feel very free to to say what they want, you know, particularly with the anonymity of the internet. Mm-hmm. And so you can't let it bother you. You lose your mind if you let it bother you. You know, it's, um, you know, some of it hurts, but otherwise you just got to kind of move on. Have you heard this quote by Scott Scratton? Uh, you can't win over the haters. You're not the jackass whisperer. <laughs> I like that. I you like know, it we too. Have, we, we have a saying in our house that you can't, you know, you can't, you can't deal with crazy. You know, and you know, I work very hard. You know, in, in as hard as I work, not to, to, not to let more into our home. I work even harder not to let crazy into our home. And it's very easy to, to entertain, to indulge, or to encourage crazy. You know, whether you're on TV or not. So I'm a big fan of, of, you know, not, not, not letting crazy cross the threshold. So I want to circle back to this. How are you different? in your life than you are on TV? Um, it's a great question. Um, I think, I think the person you see on TV largely is me. You know, I don't, you know, I've often been asked to play a character or to have some kind of shtick or that kind of thing. I'm, I'm very much exactly as you see on TV, you know, in terms of my sense of humor, in terms of, you know, empathy or whatever. But, you know, there is much more, to me than you see on TV. You know, you don't know my personal relationships. You don't know my history. You don't know what's going on, you know, in my family. You know, you don't know a whole lot of other factors that are coming into play. And so, you know, and also on TV, you know, it's a constructed reality. You know, while while I'm authentic, I think, you know, in all my interactions on TV, the fact is that, you know, you know, I'll shoot, I'll shoot, you know, two days. I'll, sh- you know, I'm, I'm going to Sydney on Sunday to shoot a couple of shows in Sydney and, and you know, or the Rachel Ray shows I shoot, you know, I'll shoot for, you know, maybe a day. I might shoot for eight hours and the piece that's on TV is two and a half minutes long, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, and that's a constructed reality that I have nothing to do with because there's an editor and a producer who cuts that together and I have nothing to do with that. And so, you know, with the bigger shows that I shoot, you know, the person you see on TV or the what I do in a TV show, I, you know, with the bigger shows that I shoot, I very seldom watch them because frequently the show that's on TV and the show that I remember shooting are not the same thing. How you know, s- I, might, I might spend a day working with you and we might focus on, you know, something that's, you know, the, you know, the need to use space in your living room, you know, more appropriately. And, you know, we might spend 45 minutes talking about one piece in the room that was inherited from your grandmother after she died tragically, and that's extremely upsetting for you. I can pretty much guarantee that that, that 45, seconds, 45 minutes is going to get a lot more weight, a lot more weight than, um, than talk, you and me talking about spatial relations in, in, in the room for an hour and a half. So, you know, it's, you know, what you see on TV is, is one brand of reality. And so the person you see on TV is, you know, in some ways constructed as well. Um, but, you know, I think you get a good sense of who I am. You know, I'm just as crazy on TV, in real life as I am on TV, probably more so. You know, I've, I've, my language is far coarser in real life and I'm kind of a much more you know, heartless, cruel, and insensitive person that I am on TV. At least all my friends tell me that. <laughs> well, I'm, I thank you for clarifying that because that would just be, if I were listening to this interview, I'd be like, well, wait a second, I'd like to know. And and it makes sense. There's an edited version of you, right? That's putting together a storyline that, yeah. and so it's you showing up and then how do they want to edit it to make the storyline work? Yeah, because I don't, like, I decide what I'll do with the person, and I'm very conscious that, you know, my my major priority is helping that person through the issue. But, you know, there's a producer, I'm also making a TV show, 
you know, it's the producer's responsibility to make sure that it's compelling TV, that it's compelling viewing. They might be at odds sometimes. Sometimes they are. Um, but, you know, I don't get the final say. I don't get any say in what actually goes on TV. What makes compelling TV? Oh, you know, in this day and age, I mean, turn on... <clears throat> unfortunately, increasingly, it's bottom-of-the-barrel stuff. You know, people with no teeth, you know, speaking English, but it has to be subtitled because it's, you know, it's so impossible to understand with, you know, children dressed up as adults or, you know people spending money they don't have or, you know, people screaming at each other. I mean, that's what makes compelling TV this day, this day and age. And, you know, it's, it's interesting with the work that I do, you know, when it comes to, to clutter and people's issues, you know, there's always a, an inherent kind of um, um, tension because for me it's always about story. You know, I think, I, I believe that people at the end of the day are most captivated by story. And unfortunately, frequently in TV, within the, the genre that I work in, many producers think that people are more captivated by spectacle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there is often this tension in the work that I do, particularly if I'm working with new producers who want to make an impact, you know, for their own careers. They'll say, let's do a hoarder. You know, let's find someone whose house, you know, is overrun with cats. Let's find someone who can't get into their front door because there's so much stuff. And it's like, no, 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 I don't, I'm not doing that. You know, I don't do that. Um, you know, unless there's a, you know, a range of very strict conditions, let's instead find someone who has a very compelling story, you know, parents struggling with, you know, their kids stuff, you know, the loss of a child, the, you know, let's find a story, you know, a couple who've, you know, who accept hand-me-downs from all their friends and now can't move in their home because they don't know how to say no to someone. You know, stories that are much more real and relatable, and that in itself, I think, makes compelling TV. But, you know, it's a visual medium, and so often TV producers want, you know, a lot of visual impact. Well, it's that drama and that you know, yeah. anxiety-driven stuff. Yeah. And um, instead of, there's this common humanity piece because what can we all relate to? And wouldn't it be great if we could see, oh, some families who are maybe struggling with boundaries and how do you actually integrate? Yeah. We can understand exactly. boundaries, exactly. but how do you integrate yeah. it? Well, you know, there's a very popular, a very, very popular television show on American TV. I guess it's on, on Canadian TV as well that I won't name. But I know for a fact that that when, you know, the talent, you know, the people who are interacting with the families were interviewed, they were asked, one of the questions they were asked were, um, are you able to cry on cue? Mm. You know, which straight away, you know, straight away tells you, mm, okay, I know where this is going to go. You know, and I've, I've gone into meetings with executives and been asked, how do you handle, you know, how do you handle extreme drama? That's one of the first questions. It's like, mm, this is not the place for me. Because you know where it's going to go. You know, that they want screaming and shouting and, you know, drama and spectacle and all that stuff. And so, you know, in, in, a, way, in a way, it's kind of a bit of the, the more is more argument. You know, if, if two people yelling at each other, you know, creates interesting TV, then 15 people yelling at each other must create great TV. Mm-hmm. Insane. It's all insane. I love how you brought our tangent back to where we we're supposed to be. <laughs> mm, that's because one of us needs to be focused during this hour, Corin, and it seems that the only person who's going to do that and not talk about crumbs in grooves on tables is me. So what's next? What's the next question on your list? So, <laughs> see, this is it. See, you asked what I'm like. This is what I'm. Like. I'm really, basically, a fairly horrible person. You're rude, you... rude, and horrible. But why do you think you're horrible? Because I speak absolutely inappropriately to everyone that I know. Like you're the host of a, you're the host of an international radio show. I'd be tre- I should be treating you with a little more respect, for God's sake. Well, I I, I don't take offense to it. <laughs> well, that's, that's like a red rag to a bull with me. You shouldn't be saying that. No, but I, but no, I don't take offense to it. I mean, I think all of this has been fun, and we go off on these tangents, and we come back. Yeah. And um, that's, why, that's why I like talking to you. You know, I don't think there's any show I've done. Any any program I've done nine times, I'm absolutely mortified to think that this is our ninth time. How is that? 
Like seriously, how is that possible? I would have said I would have said this is the third, maybe the fourth time we've spoken. It's amazing. It is amazing. Like, it's always it's always fun and enjoyable. It is fun and enjoyable. And you know, the other side is that when we start to understand, like we're, right now, we're kind of going behind the curtain, right? What is the thing that creates the more, more, more? What is the thing that tells us that we're supposed to have perfectionism? Right, things have to be perfect. I mean, a lot of it comes from our media. So, by you talking about the the story, you know, what happens behind the scenes. I mean, that's part of the show is what goes on behind the curtains. Because we're, well, com- you know, it's interesting. I've all, you know, on every show I've ever been on, and I really believe this. I've always said the best show is the show that you never see, mm-hmm. and I've always thought it would be hilarious and fantastic to make a TV show but you have another crew that's filming what's really going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like that's where, that's where most interest is, you know, where, you know, the, the, you know, the, I, don't, I think you may have seen it, you know, the years ago I did that hoarding show for the Oprah Winfrey show, you know, it was one of the first hoarding shows on TV and, um, you know, it took us 10 weeks and there were 80 people and, you know, the, the amount of stuff that came out of the house was just incredible. And if you see it on Oprah, it was beautifully cut. It was a fantastic show. It was so riveting. What you didn't see, for example, was we were, you know, the day one of shooting, we started and we were about maybe 40 minutes in and we'd started at the front door of the house, three-level house, so much stuff, and it took us 40 minutes to declutter maybe two feet into the house, maybe. Mm-hmm. There was so much stuff. And I said to everyone, look, let's, let's step down for a minute. And I said to the producer, I need to talk to you. We walked around the side of the house and I had a total panic attack. I said to her, we've got to stop. There's no way we can do this. This is never going to work. We need to stop right now. And, you know, that was a very real moment that you didn't see on TV, you know, or the times on Clean Sweep where Eric Strommer, who is one of my very dear friends, he knew, he knows I have an incredibly weak stomach. And so when we were ever we were filming in kitchens, he would deliberately open the area under the kitchen sink. And th- on three different occasions, I threw up on the spot. Well, you know, you didn't see any of that stuff. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I think is more real and goes on behind the scenes. You know, I may appear a polished professional, but behind it all, I'm really, you know, you know a crumbling wreck of insecurities. God, I hope this doesn't go up on the internet and someone's <laughs> going to quote this back to me in the future. <laughs> what am I saying? What am I saying? Oh my God. <laughs> you usually do that on the show. But, and that's, I mean, this show is about the common humanity piece because when we get into that comparison, and, and that's, that's, that's rooted in shame and scarcity. And then I think that's what drives us to this more, more, more. Well, but I think that's absolutely true. And we're all exactly the same that, you know, it's funny. Once you start talking about it, you know, and I keep harping on, you know, the, you know, the plumping of the pillows or the groove in the table with the breadcrumbs. That's every, that is everyone. We all make those choices that are not the perfect, what we think are the perfect choices, but they're the real choices. And I think when you talk more about it, you come to see that, that no one can, you know, we think everyone is achieving perfection except us. We think everyone is getting more except us. We think that everyone is doing better than we are. And when you talk about it, you discover that, so many people, you know, are struggling with this need to appear better, this this wish that, you know, th- this illusion that if only they can keep up this front of success, people will like them more, that everyone else is really achieving the picture-perfect magazine homes. And the truth is hardly anyone is. And so, you know, the truth is that you peel back the curtain just a little bit and Everyone, everyone is, you know, and I say this with the people I work with and about myself, everyone is a struggling, frail, eight-year-old trying to make sense of the world. Everyone. Everyone. And so this idea that you can be perfect or, you know, if you just buy more, things will be better for you is, you know, is total crap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see it every day. You know, I go into... I go into homes every day and everyone is exactly the same. Everyone is a frail, struggling human being trying to make sense of the world around them and to do the best with what they have. It's all exactly the same. And that's where I think it gives hope because it's like if everybody is struggling and we can just keep moving one foot in front of the other, 
we yeah. can have it, it goes back to that drawer. Hey, if I can clean this one That's drawer. Exactly it. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. If you can just clean that one drawer, congratulations, you have scored a huge success today. Mm-hmm. That's it. And to celebrate that into enoughness instead of the not enough, I'm not enough, I can never yeah. do enough, I'm not rich enough, I don't have enough, which is all scarcity. Yeah, and, and that's what I love about, you know, organizing, you know, back to a language thing. You know, the word organize and the word organic come from the same root. You know, organic, whole, human, complete, one, natural, you know, and that's what organic is, and we all strive for more organic items in our lives. Well, by being organized, you become more organic, more complete, you know, more whole, more human, more one, more whole, you know. And, and so even if it's just the junk drawer or one shelf somewhere in your house, take one step towards being more whole and human complete by just organizing one shelf, you know, one basket of laundry, one junk drawer, I don't care. It's all a step in the right direction, and that's all you can hope for. So what happens to people when they create the space? When- well, you know, it's, you know, in my experience, you know, it just opens. It's so hard to explain. Um, every single time people declutter their home and get organized, they say to me, it feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. That's the term they use. A weight has been lifted. It is, I found this experience transforming. That's, you know, they're the words that people constantly use when they talk about this stuff. And it's hard to explain, but when you open a space, when you declutter and only have the things in it that you love and use that make your heart sing, that help you create the life you want, what then, it then creates an opportunity for things to flow into that space that you can't even comprehend. Life transforming things like, like focus and motivation and happiness and relaxation and ease and all those things and creativity, all those things, I guarantee it because I see it all the time they're the things that flow into, I'll state it in the negative, they're all the things that can't coexist in a cluttered, messy, disorganized space. They just can't coexist in that space. I'm thinking about that. You know, it's like, you know, you use you, you, you the nature analogy before. You know that feeling... And it doesn't happen as often these days because, you know, so many of us live in urban environments. That that moment when you're on holiday somewhere and you're in the middle of a forest or standing on the shore of a beach or, you know, standing on a cliff somewhere looking at a vista and suddenly, suddenly in that moment, just the awesomeness, and I use that word deliberately, the awesomeness of the moment, the awesomeness of where you are just flows over you, that moment. That moment never occurs in a cluttered, messy, disorganized space. But it can in an open, uncluttered, supportive space. That moment can permeate that space 24-7. I guarantee it. Mm Mm-hmm. And the truth is, you know, if, you know, if you don't work at this, if you don't create the home you want, if you don't create the space that reflects the life you want, nobody else will. You'll go through life never having that experience. That's your primary job. Create the home that reflects the life you want. And if you open your front door and you feel stressed and overwhelmed and unhappy and unfocused and unmotivated, get off your ass, and today's the day to turn that around. (laughs) So, Peter... That's a a technical organizing term, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So, creating the home that reflects the life you want, so what is that for you? Um, um, I travel a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when I come home, I don't 
you know, I don't want to feel like there is a ton of stuff, you know, clouding my vision or my space. We love to entertain a lot. We love spontaneity. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of things that need dusting or cleaning or, you know, I love to be able to eat. I have a terrible memory. I love to be able to quickly and easily find things. So, you know, our cupboards aren't overloaded with stuff. Things are, you know, everything has a home in our home. You know, we, I know we, if I need to get a light bulb or, you know, a new, you know, a can of, a, you know, a, a can of seltzer or, you know, a, you know, or the camera that I shoot, you know, my YouTube videos on, I know exactly where those things are. You know, if I need to write a check or I need to, you know, get my passport or I'm just looking around my office and looking out into the living area of the house, you know, if I need, you know, a, you know, a DVD. I know exactly where those things are. So my home is is not cluttered. It's open. It's airy. You know, it's easily cleaned. You know, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we we have a little weekend place. We're very fortunate in Palm Springs, and my partner and, and I were there yesterday. And you know, we were going to come back to LA this morning. And you know, at at five thirty yesterday, we said, look, let's go back to LA now. We were in the we were packed in the car and driving back to LA in less than 15 minutes. Wow. And it's just, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's what I want. I want, you know, I want to be, you know, mobile. I want to be easily able to find things, you know, and, and on the, I'm just looking around my office. I'm sitting in my office, you know, on the wall of my office are, you know, photos of, you know, that are really important to me, you know, fun photos from, you know, and little, not a lot, but a few tchotchkes from different experiences in my life, all of which mean things to me um, and make me smile. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like what you've created in your life and you've created it, right? You've taken control of it or Mm -hmm. you've done the work. It's not that it just happened to you, but you've created this, this, this space of ease, knowing where the checkbook may be, knowing where your passports are, um, having ease and maybe simplicity so that it can allow you to travel and move without having to get everything organized before you yeah. go out the door. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, and you know, it, it just reflects the life, you know, it just reflects the life I want. You know, we don't buy a ton of stuff. Um, it's just, interesting. I don't know. I, I, you know, people ask me this all the time. I don't know, you know, the, you know, if I'm going to buy stuff, if I want to acquire stuff, you know, you know, will it will it add to, you know, will it add to the the space I have, you know? And it's funny, you know, I wouldn't call us minimalist, but you know, I'm I'm constantly looking at things to to remove from the house. You know, every, you know, I I have a you know a, a box in a storeroom off my office, and I have a large box there, and you know, every two months it's full and it goes to Goodwill. So you know, there's this also constant thing of, you know, tweaking and adjusting the environment I'm in to make sure that things that I don't use or need or love don't accumulate. So, you know, if, if I try on a shirt and it doesn't fit, it goes in the box. You know, if I finish reading a book and I know I'm not going to look at it again, it goes in the box. You know, if I'm cooking and there's a utensil, and I look at it and think I haven't used that in, you know, in a year, it goes in the box. So, you know, it's a, it's a constant tweaking to make sure that, you know, as you change, your home changes to suit, you know, the needs and, and the vision you have for that space. I love your box thing. I've used that. And because there's that, oh, I may need it. And then when you have that box and you put it in there, like I've done this with kitchen appliances or yeah, tools, yeah. and you realize you've gone a year without taking anything <laughs> out of there. <laughs> the donation hamper, it's a very big, it's a very big thing for me. And put it in your hallway cupboard or you know, in your closet, and it's just amazing how once you get in the habit, you start throwing stuff in there because otherwise it just goes back on the shelf and it just gets pushed, you know, to the back of the shelf, uh, you know, farther and farther. I started this thing this year called the lower third, which was a funny kind of aha moment for me that, you know, I I was working with this family and and it suddenly occurred to me that if you go into, into a room in your home, you know, particularly your closet, and you grab the if there's a stack of t-shirts or a stack of sweaters or fill in the blank if you grab the lower third of that stack i can pretty much guarantee they haven't been worn for over a year mhm it's a funny quick decluttering thing that anyone can do 
you know, just grab them and take them to goodwill because the lower, because you wash, you love stuff, you wear it, you wash it, you put it back on top of the stack. The stuff at the bottom of the stack, you never wear it. <laughs> it's like all those magazines that are stacked up. I had magazines in my office for like 10 years. Exactly. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, Peter, thank you so much for coming back. What? Are we done? We're done. Oh, my God. I know it goes fast, even with our tangents that are so important. And and I don't think you're crass. I think that's just your armor. But you're quite Thank darling. You. So Thank I you. like talking with you. It is fun. And you are real. It's always a pleasure. It is always a huge pleasure. So We didn't know. analyze your family this time, though. Normally, we do a bit of an <laughs> analysis of the family. Well, this time, we brought in my couch and my, my dining room table. <laughs> and the crumbs. And the, the crumbs. crumbs. I, saw the vision. I have the vision of your children up on the table trying to get their tongue under the glass to get to the last of the crumbs <laughs> from the morning croissants. But anyway, let's move on. Thank you, Corinne. It was fantastic. I appreciate it. And I really don't know why you keep asking me back, but I will keep coming. It's fun, and the listeners love it. So there we go. And you have helpful things. Thank you very much, Peter. Hey, kiddo. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. So I really do enjoy having this conversation with Peter. We have a great time. We go to these places. And and he's a TV personality. So it takes a while for him to step away from all of those those sayings that he does, you know, in those soundbite moments. And then we get really into, you know, what what's going on inside of Peter. And I love that he was willing to really open up about himself and what he's really like and the fact that, you know, he can be very crystal clear on saying, okay, you know, what is it that I want from this space? What is the vision that I have for my for the for my life? And but at the same time, like he said, oh, there could be a sale that could detract you. Or that he said that he's constantly working on keeping the stuff out of his house. It's not like, I think so often, especially with the mirage, the mirror, the the magic of television, that we see those transformations happen and we think, oh, it's going to stay like that. It's like my idea with the dust. I remember when I was in college and I moved up here to Davis and I had never been in some place that was so dusty. I live in an agricultural land and I would dust and think, okay, why is there dust two days later? It shouldn't be happening. But that's the real life. Like it's about how do you, I, the word I use is how do you practice? The word that Peter uses is work. You work at it, right? Not begrudgingly, but you work at it. Like, okay, you have to fluff up the pillows, you fluff up the pillows, but working on creating the life that you want because the other option kind of sucks. It's about when you let life happen to you and you don't have a vision. And it doesn't mean that because anytime we have a vision or, you know, we, we make a goal that's really scary, it does create some anxiety inside of us or it can create a lot. And I know that, but it's about having that vision as, okay, and having that help you move forward. And then you may change it. Peter didn't say this this time, but this is one of my favorite, like guiding, um, principles that I've used and I've used with my clients is I remember one time asking him, actually I asked him many times because I'd heard it throughout these bunch of the interviews that I had with him was what was your success, right? Here was this kid from Australia who came from, you know, his parents, I think dad had an eighth grade education and here he is now. I mean, he's the American success story, media personality, hangs out with Oprah, that sort of thing. And you know, what was the thing that he contributed to the success in his life? And he had said that a mentor at one point in his life had said, figure out what it is that you want. Absolutely 100% commit, totally commit for six months. And then at six months, reevaluate. And I think that is brilliant. I use that a lot with my clients. I have groups that I form with that six months, having that container because your stuff is going to come up and that's when we want to flee. And so to really say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be committed, and I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to try. And then we have all these beliefs and these limiting beliefs that it can't happen, it's not possible, right? So really committing to it. So like having that vision of what is the vision that I want, not the vision of it has to be perfect, right? Because the other side is he talks about Martha Stewart. The other side is it's not just Martha Stewart. She's the brand name. She's the person. There's a whole team of people. So if I compare my house with those images, we're not comparing the same things. It's not realistic because I don't have the same team. So understanding that, like we don't play in the same league if, you're, if you want to talk in sports. She's a very different setup than I do, but I, that I'm comparing myself and making myself unhappy if I, do, if I choose to do that. 
So really knowing that you work on things that we're practicing. Also, if you remember listening to the interview, wasn't it great? It was so fantastic that Peter would consistently repeat things over and over. And it wasn't to fill out space, but it was just so that it could really sink. Because, you know, as you know, because I've outed myself on my newsletter and probably here other times, is that I say I'm a slow learner. Like things sound great, but I'm like trying to remember and write it down. One of the things that he said is, if the price is the best thing, do not buy it. He said that three times. If the price is the best thing, do not buy it. And it is okay if we are slow learners. It is not a sign of our intelligence. This idea that, oh, it has to, you know, if we're not learning from out of a fire hose, we're not really learning. You know, I think that's a bunch of crap personally. And if I really think about it, I think it's just a way to use shame as a control tactic. Like shame. Oh, see, you're not learning this fast enough. There's something wrong with you. You're not good enough. And that was one of the things that he talked about was this more, more, more. And I remember being that little kid poor from a poor family, a family really struggling and looking at my closet, you know, and I was little, I was probably six or eight or 10 years old. But looking at my closet and seeing all the space, and because I was rooted in so much scarcity, which is shame, I um, I looked at it from a place of lack. I was I remember telling myself these stories of, gosh, when I get older, I'm going to have a full closet. It's going to be busting out. Well, I do. I mean, I've had a full closet, and, and it's pretty funny because he talks about the third. I mean, I don't even go to – I'm such at the top of the thing. And so to get rid of – that stuff and have that space. But now it's because I'm really rooted and grounded in this place of compassion. I really still go visit scarcity and shame, but being grounded there, I can look at space and in that kitchen cabinet, not as, oh my gosh, poor us. We don't have enough of now. It's like, wow, like space is the thing that I really want in my life because I'm so much more filled up inside. So thinking about it from those those terms of what is enough for you? How many do you really need? You know, and it, it comes down to like, I love his questions. What is the life that you want to create? And then finally, you know, I know Peter acts a bit crass and stuff. And, and I have a lot of people in my life that can do that. And I can do that as well. And what I find is when I'm like that, it's a way for me to armor up. You know, it's a way for me to kind of protect myself because I don't want to be vulnerable. And so like when um, people can be crass and or like he was talking about the hate mail that he gets, I really love that comment or that quote by Scott Scratton who said, and it was Brene Brown who told me about it, but it's, you know, you, you're not, you don't try to win over the haters. You're not the jackass whisperer, right? Don't try to win over the haters. You're not the jackass whisperer. And so really not taking things personally and I mean, that's Don Miguel Ruiz, one of his four agreements, but not taking the things personally from the people on the outside. So that's why I can hold the space for him. And I know he's going to get uncomfortable because we're talking about things that are a bit on the outside, right? And and they're opening him up a bit more. So I'm fine with that. So as I leave you, I really invite you to think about, you know, will this help me create whatever it is that you want to create? Really ask yourself that question without judgment. And remember at the beginning of the show when I was talking to him and I was telling him about, you know, my my own process of decluttering. And he said, it's a process. It's not about perfection, right? It is a process. And as you get your systems fine-tuned, it actually doesn't take as much energy to keep it going. It can be overwhelming at first. And he talked about that overwhelming and daunting. It can be overwhelming and daunting at first. But it's a process. And as you get your routine in place, it doesn't take that much time and it becomes simplifier. And like he has that ease. I mean, that's more and more with the spaces that I want to create in my life. Thanks. All right. So if you haven't already signed up for my weekly newsletter, go to howshereallydoesit.com and sign up. And this is where we can stay connected and you can get insight into how to integrate all these great interview nuggets into your life, how you can practice without being perfect and without being overwhelmed. You will learn how to integrate these nuggets or concepts into your real life and maybe just get a sense of relief. I had a former client email me this morning because she had gotten the email that I'd sent out about being a slow learner. And it was just that common humanity piece of, oh my gosh, we're not the only ones, right? Reminding her son was going through something and remembering that. And so... I just invite you that this is a way to stay connected and also like integrate 
integrate the stuff into your life. Move it beyond intellectual learning and taking it into action in your life. So sign up for my newsletter and also leave a review on iTunes. It's so helpful for the show and it helps with the algorithms and all that tech stuff that I'm not good at. But go to iTunes, leave a review for the show. It really helps. And I want to do a shout out to Cafe Girl 2009 for leaving a review on iTunes for how she really does it. Take care and thanks for listening. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.